Welcome to Coffee House. It's here. This is the most amazing, most important book that has been released since... Uh, well, when was the Bible released? Coffee House presents Once Upon a Vampire. It's a cold and scary descent into the fiction of amateur, unpublished writers for joy and edification. It's done. It will be up soon. The structure of the book, just so you understand, other one that has now been discontinued. <laughs> we just changed the naming pattern because you will find out there's an embarrassment that will be revealed shortly. But the structure of the book, we have chapters, the first chapter from a bunch of different works by aspiring authors, unpublished authors. So for each one of my chapters, we go through theirs and you get to read the story and throughout the story of comments. Sometimes cheerful and supportive, sometimes critical and sarcastic, but always in the name of love and acceptance and commitment to the craft and to the people who are willing to put their words on paper. So like I said, the comments throughout, and then you have a palate cleanser at the end of each one. Some of these can leave a bad taste in your mouth. So at the end, you have a palate cleanser that is a chapter from one of the great works of literature with a bit of an exploration for that as well. And the reason that the, the initial naming scheme has been retired and destroyed and banished to the nether realm is because in the first book, I accidentally spelled palate. I spelled it like the wood palate, not like palate, like your mouth, like the top of your, the roof of your mouth or, uh, you know, your tasting sense. I spelled it like a wood palate and I didn't realize it until <laughs> relatively recently. So that is an utter embarrassment on my part. The whole point of my existence is to scrutinize words and I completely mixed that up. So. That being the case, and on the heels of that embarrassment, I am destroying that one, starting a new one. This is the first one. It's called Once Upon a Vampire. So as always, what we're going to do, actually not as always, because we're just going to go through the contents. But at the end of each one of these, it gets a score, and the scores are explained in the beginning. There's a little code that says what the score means, and they have specific substantive content for each of the scores. But I want to take you through a couple of these chapters so you get an idea for how this whole thing works. So on to the contents. So, just starting at the beginning, A Slice of Death. This is chapter one in my book, Slice of Death, A Coven Cafe Mystery, and it's chapter one in their book. It's set in June 1987, and the very first sentence in their chapter, and therefore in turn in my book, is The Penis is Still Attached. That's the beginning. So the first story starts off, again, it's called A Slice of Death, A Coven Cafe Mystery. It starts off as kind of a hard-boiled detective story. What did I say? Did I say hard? I meant soft-boiled detective story. And then it moves into kind of something else. So just to give you kind of an idea of how this whole thing functions, this is from the book. The penis is still attached. And from what I can tell, it's pretty much intact. The Sarasota County medical examiner knelt beside the body of a middle-aged man, peering intently into the torn crotch of his trousers. I guess that's good news. At least I know I didn't step on it or kick it under the couch by mistake, Detective Rayburn replied. And this is my comment after that intro. We are now anchored to levity rather than concern, fear, or sincerity, so we are going to have a tough time adjusting to a different tone. That means any stakes will be undermined going forward. So that's kind of the way it works, except there's a whole bunch of sarcasm mixed in the middle of it. At another point in this particular story, quote from the chapter, The air plastered his skin like a wet washcloth. Although Detective Ian McDaniel had pressed his suit first thing that morning, he could feel the fabric immediately wilt as he stepped outside. Nyack normally received a bit of a breeze off the Hudson, but on this particular Saturday, even the river was sluggish and flat as if it had been ironed alongside his gray suit pants. So this is where you're going to get a little bit of an insight into how nagging I can be when it comes to words in particular. This is my response to that, or my little insert into this particular chapter after that passage. 
A collection of conflicting imagery. His skin is wet, his suit is pressed, or dry. The fabric is wilting, the river is wet, the river is ironed like pants, dry. The author takes one aspect and runs with it, flatness, while accepting the conflicting aspects for the description. So this is, <laughs> so when I'm reading a passage, these are the kinds of things that are going on in my mind. If you're going to use imagery that has to deal with wetness, then you can't have conflicting imagery, like talking about something being ironed. In the same passage, it's something that will just slap your little brain around and it won't know what to think about what's happening here. So this is actually a pretty long chapter and it goes into a number of different aspects of the story. So we get introduced to Angelica Davenport after the initial introduction to the soft-boiled detective. And she talks to people and takes a bath and there's a little bit about the town. So after we get introduced to Angelica, then here's one of her exchanges with somebody. Quote, no, I'm joining the owners for dinner. Peering into the dimly lit corners, she searched for Harriet. Whoa, wait just a minute. Angelica Davenport, right? Right? They told me you were coming. I'm so excited to meet you. I've already signed up for one of your readings next week. The petite hostess bounced up and down on her toes. Are you a Scorpio by any chance? Because I'm a Scorpio. End quote. And my insertion here. Is that too aggressive a term? Should I not use that term? One concept to keep in mind is that the easiest thing to do with the protagonist is to make them the center of the universe. Everything in the world becomes dependent upon the protagonist, and it limits the number of things a writer has to manage since everything is just a reflection of something about the protagonist. This hostess excited about a reading is as minor as the offense goes, however, when the literary world collectively is interested in and either likes or hates the protagonist, it loses its independent shape. We'll see how far it goes. So again, it's the, a matter of weaving in and out of the story, of understanding the pros and the cons of the way that the writer is writing, and then giving it a beautiful ironclad score at the end. And then, after we get through the full assessment, which I won't spoil here, we get to the palate cleanser. And the palate cleanser in this case was the second chapter for crime and punishment. <laughs> this is supposed to be a contrast, and it's certainly unfair, but this is, this is how we're going to do this thing. So the beginning of the second chapter of Crime and Punishment, Raskolnikov was not used to crowds, and as we said before, he avoided society of every sort, more especially of late. But now, all at once, he felt a desire to be with other people. Something new seemed to be taking place within him, and with it he felt a sort of thirst for company. He was so weary after a whole month of concentrated wretchedness and gloomy excitement that he longed to rest, if only for a moment, in some other world, whatever it might be. And in spite of the filthiness of the surroundings, he was glad now to stay in the tavern. So the point is to find something that's comparable to the structure, to the ideas, to the things that are behind the actual chapter that we're talking about, and see how they contrast in the way that they use character, in the way they use plot and story, how much information they can introduce, how the writing is, the prose specifically. And you can look at how all those things balance in different methods of writing, you know, the amateurs versus the experts. So in this case, obviously, crime and punishment has to do with a murder as well. There are detectives. And this is something where he's entering a place and it's becoming foreign to him. So he's got to realize his relationship to this place. Similar to what, even though it's his home or the place that he has been calling home, it's similar to what Angelica Davenport <laughs> is going through because she returns to her hometown and has to be reintegrated into it as well. So you can see how the different authors treated this particular kind of concept. So when it comes to genre, the type of story, uh, it's all over the place. It's all kinds of stories that you're going to get. So there's there drama, there's sci-fi, there's fantasy, and there are things like this, Vampire Protection Agency. This is chapter four in the book. The story is called Vampire Protection Agency, or the beginning, the book itself is called Vampire Protection Agency. It's supposed to be the first chapter of the whole book. And this is how it starts. Elizabeth One is the title, and it starts this way. Mom, Mom, I'm home. I called from the entryway, locking the door behind me. Walking through the house, I usually hear my mom somewhere, but the house is early. 
<laughs> they meant eerily, but it's spelled early. Silent. It's so creepy when it's like this. Dropping my bag on the counter, there's a note there from my mom. Sorry, honey, I got called into the hospital tonight. There's a plate in the fridge for you. Hope your day went well. Check in later. Love you. And so my little uh, note here, not to decry the art of informative letter writing, but no cell phones? Question mark. Back to the story. Throwing the note away, I pulled out the plate. Mom always makes me a plate for something for when I get home from school, since sometimes I don't have lunch. I've never told her that, but she always knows. So... <laughs> So you get all over the place. We had a, a competent writer in the first one, very competent writer. And as you know, I want to be as positive a force for change as I can be, and I'm definitely working on that. So this isn't meant to make fun of these writers. There's so much affection I have for everybody who contributed to, to these things. It's very difficult to do these things exceptionally well. But for our purposes here, it is funny to see that contrast where you have the writing styles. Like, this particular story spends a long time just talking about plates and, and food and whether mom does or does not and when they do uh, prepare a plate for this person. And there's this whole controversy around why on earth a plate is made in particular circumstances and, and how the author specifically treats this event of mom making a plate for the daughter. And this is the beginning of what's supposed to be an entire novel that's called Vampire Protection Agency. It's just, uh, it's hilarious to me. Today she made <laughs> me fried chicken, baked potato, and salad. No commas, by the way. But you'll often run into a lot of these stories that are, are the beginnings of these novels that are written by people who might be writing in a second language, which, of course, is thoroughly impressive <laughs> because most us Americans can only write in the one. But so it... The result of that is, is some awkward wording and interesting ideas when it comes to the prose. So something that has been very memorable to me from this story was Plategate, and it's something that just recurs throughout. Until, of course, there's a vampire standing in the backyard or something. <laughs> and just to contrast that, you've got other stories that are explicitly about like kings and queens and evil stepmothers in olden times. So, for instance, in uh, one of the later chapters... Oh, this chapter 7 is called Survival of the Rose. And in this one, quote, I am blessed to be the child of such a king as you, father, Deanna smiled. The queen gave her a disgusted look. Excuse me, the queen standing up. I must go see to the servants. Someone must run this household while my, while my dear husband is indisposed. Of course, Rosaline, my queen, the king coughed. The queen curtsied and left the room, glaring at Deanna as she went. The door seemed to have closed a little harder than necessary. Deanna stared at the door for a moment, how the queen hated her so. <laughs> And my insertion here just overfilled the antipathy of the queen jug, how the queen felt was obvious from the much more subtle events earlier. So throughout the beginning of the story, it's just the queen hates the princess, and it's just over and over again how this the step queen uh, just hates the princess. And the king is sick, and so you've seen this setup before, and our heroic princess uh, is going to have to thwart all the plots against her once the, the king passes away. And so once we get into the story and actually talking about it, there's a little bit of discussion about archetypes and how it's okay to have archetypes. You know, like the evil stepmother, or like the, the doting king dying father and, and the honorable and innocent princess who has to go through these things. It's okay to have those archetypes. It's something that the early Disney movies were built on and they were fantastic. But you have to do it in a very good way. You, you have to really put it together correctly to be, when you're just relying on those archetypes to get through. So then there's, of course, a full assessment, and then we have a palate cleanser from Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. As a beautiful contrast to the way this is structured. 
And then just to round this out to this discussion, we had, for some reason, a number, maybe that's why I want to use the word insertion so much, there were a number of romance novels, first chapters from romance novels that made it in. I just, you know, shake these things up, I shuffle them like a deck of cards, and then I, you know, plug them in and just see what I run into. I like how organic that feels. I just happen to run into a bunch of romance ones that would have these broad, explicit descriptions of various acts. So you will see, you will see how I treat those particular things, you know, uh, very maturely, obviously, and like an adult. But so that's what we're going to talk about. That's uh, It's Aspiring Authors. It's Coffeehouse Presents Once Upon a Vampire. I hope that people will most importantly enjoy it. And it will be available. I hope all is well. I will definitely see you on the next one. I think the next book we have coming up, actually. I know I was supposed to do Theodore Dalrymple, but I just realized there's this book that I was very much looking forward to that was on the Jordan Peterson list. And it's a massive one. And I'm trying to get more into psychology right now because I'm trying to uh, learn, you know, the basic structures to be able to develop AI. And I kind of want to have a really, really fundamental understanding of how all that works you know it might not necessarily be the basis to try to make these things but it's still it's good to have a really good foundation in that area so what we're reading next what i'm going to do for next week is the archaeology of mind neuroevolutionary origins of human emotions and that's by i think you, you pronounce it like yak pongsep something like that j-a-a-k-p-a-n-k-s-e-p-p this is on the jordan peterson reading list and so we are going to read all the way through this thing and have it for next week but i also i want to do an episode on the new macbeth the tragedy of macbeth by joel cohen I just watched that, you know, I watched it like in the wee hours, uh, early morning yesterday, I think. And I think it's worth talking about. I cannot wait to get to Hamlet. Oh, that's just spoilers. I can't, I can't actually tell you about that yet. But uh, it's, I can't wait to talk about that movie. It was so enjoyable. There's so much to it. So uh, we're going to have that at some point. But otherwise, that's what we have when it comes to books. The Archaeology of Mind, if you want to read along. We're going to do some lighter stuff after that because that is a, a tome. But this was just released last year, so it should be really up-to-date on neuroevolutionary theory when it comes to humans. Uh, I cannot wait. Cannot wait. But anyway, so that was this one. We're going to have that one next and some other stuff coming up and get those stupid videos on the, the with the chatbots, the AI chatbots, uh, trying to figure out how they function. Get those stupid videos up. They're not stupid. <laughs> They're enjoyable, but I just need to get them up. Just uh, there's so much going on. And then uh, we will see you on the next one. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>